Today's scripture passage will be from 1 Samuel 17, 21 to 50. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. In Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And from whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption in the evil of your heart, for you have come to just down, come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another, and he spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and the bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff and in his hand chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. 
And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to him, Am I a dog that you choose to come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all and that all of his assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew, drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his back and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. This is God's word. It's my prop. <laughs> well, good morning, new community. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that might not know me, my name is Jay Jackson, and I have the privilege to serve on staff here uh, as the staff team lead and also as an elder. Um, when Justin uh, gave me this passage, he said he was handing me a softball. So a familiar story, uh, an encouraging story, and I think it's really one that's, I know, has spoken to me and is appropriate for me. When I think of preaching, I think of uh, slaying giants, uh, because preaching has never been something that has been easy for me. Uh, but over the years, God has uh, strengthened my faith, um, not my ability, but he has strengthened my faith uh, to, to deliver the word. So I, I, I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, recently, my oldest son, Chad, uh, it's probably been about two weeks ago, he had a LASIK surgery uh, because like his dad, uh, he's nearsighted and uh, needed corrective surgery to, uh, to see clearly. Um, the Israelites also were suffering from nearsightedness. They, they needed corrective surgery. Uh, they weren't seeing things through eyes of faith. And uh, they were looking down when they should have been looking up, looking up to God. It reminds you of a little story. Uh, this boy lost his contact, and he looked and he looked and looked. He couldn't find it. And finally, he broke down and asked his mom to help. And his mom, within just a few minutes, found the contact, and he was like surprised and 
It's like, how did you find that so quick? And, he was, and she was like, oh, that was easy. You were looking for a contact. I was looking for $250. So a change of perspective, uh, definitely. And <clears throat> David, David saw more than an undefeatable giant, an insurmountable uh, army. Uh, he saw a greater champion. He saw one that stood more than head and shoulders above anyone else. David trusted in Yahweh, the God of heaven's armies. And at this point in time, uh, Israel was looking to a king. They wanted a human king. And they had forgotten that they had the king of the universe on their side. And David said it best in Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord have not forsaken those who seek you. So the big idea today is that the, the champion David points to our true champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated the greatest giant in our lives, sin and death. Therefore, you can trust him to overcome the lesser giants that you face. So we need to ask ourselves, who am I trusting when I face life, life's challenges? Who is my champion? Where am I looking? To overcome our giants, we need a, a, a biblical perspective. And we must correct our vision and see the true champion and put our faith in him. But Israel, they were focusing on their problem, not the problem solver. And so the lesson for us is our true enemy is not our problems and difficulties. It's our unbelief that leads to sin and death. We must see the enemy correctly. Here's what Israel saw. Here they are. They are um, gathered in this valley, the Valley of Elah, which was like a mile-wide valley. And on one side was the Philistine army. On the other side was the Israelite army. And here in verse 1, it tells us they gathered in Soka, which belongs to Judah. Judah was Israelite territory. So, Number one, they had, they had a problem that if the Philistines were um, coming into their territory and the Philistines were a technologically advanced um, society in, in terms of their military power, they controlled all the coast along the Mediterranean Sea. They uh, controlled Gezer, Megiddo, and Hazer, three major cities along a trade route. And so that gave them a lot of advantage. They could tax people as they were coming through the area. Um, they also had uh, one of the first peoples to uh, master the art of uh, iron making. And so they had um, bronze armor and iron uh, swords and uh, were far superior to the, the Israelites who basically just had farm implements and sim simple weaponry. And uh, it was almost like, uh, you know, I think of uh, owning the East Coast Line and, and controlling all the commerce from New York to Washington down to Miami. Uh, if you can kind of picture that, this, this was the people group that, that they were uh, to do battle against. And then on top of that, they had this giant named Goliath, uh, who was about nine foot, uh, nine inches tall. And the scripture says he would come out morning and evening and just taunt them and defy them and 
Come on, aren't you Saul's army? Aren't you Saul's servants? Aren't I a Philistine? Send out a champion to, to battle with me. And uh, if he won, then Israel's, the Israelites would be their slaves. And, but if his, the Israelites won, they would be his slave. And they would, he would just taunt them uh, day after day after day. And uh, the, the scriptures goes into great detail about his, his armor, his bronze armor from head to toe, weighed about 125 pounds. He had this spear with an iron uh, spearhead on it that weighed about 15 pounds. Um, I think of the tallest man in recorded history, a guy named Robert Wadlow. Uh, he was 8 foot 11 inches, so Goliath was almost another foot taller and uh, Robert Wadlow at uh, his peak weighed about 491 pounds. So you can imagine the size of Goliath and somebody that, uh, the girth of somebody that was able to uh, carry 125 pounds of armor. Uh, this, is, this was the, the, the champion that, that they were to defeat. Um, and on top of that, uh, the Israelites were not a terribly tall ethnic group. Uh, maybe about on average five eight, and so David himself was probably he was just a youth, maybe five foot three inches. Um, so there was definitely a, a challenge here. And Goliath had in front of him a shield bearer, and the shields they would carry were the the height of a man. So you're, you we're talking uh, a pretty serious foe. And uh, the scriptures tell us in verse eleven. Uh, the results for the Israelites was uh, that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The New Living Translation says they were terrified and deeply shaken. The scene then shifts in verse 12 to the home of the shepherd boy David. David's back home taking care of the sheep, which kind of speak, you know, speaks to what his father thought about David as the next anointed king. He probably didn't think it was all that big of a deal because, uh, you know, he, he, he gave David the most lowly of assignments, take care of the sheep, and then, by the way, you're going to be my delivery boy, take meals to the, to the front lines. So he instructed David to take uh, some bread and some cheese to his brothers and the commanders. David got up the next morning, uh, came to the battlefront, and just as he was coming to the battlefront, the Israelite army was going out uh, to war, and they, the scripture says they were uh, um, calling out the battle cry, maybe like, long live King Saul! And they're, they're going out to meet Saul again, you know, and this is like day 40. And uh, <clears throat> um, David hears uh, the giant come out and defy Israel, and he has two questions. Uh, he says, what is the reward for defeating this enemy and remo removing this disgrace? And by the way, who is this big oaf that's mouthing off about our God? And he hears this, uh, that there's a victory, uh, there's a reward for whoever defeats this Goliath. Uh, first of all, there's great wealth from the king. There's marriage to his daughter, so you're going to be royalty. And then three, read my lips, no new taxes. In fact, no taxes at all for your entire family for the rest of your life. Pretty good deal. But nobody budged. Nobody was willing to fight the Goliath. Uh, to, and scriptures tell us in verse 24, it says, 
all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. David's brother, meanwhile, Eliab, the oldest brother, who's probably a little ticked off that he wasn't anointed the next king, he hears David asking all these questions, and it probably really um, highlighted their fear, their failure, their lack of bravery. And so he responds to, to David with reproach. It says in verse 28, Eliab's anger was kindled against him or it was burned against him. And uh, you can just see in his words that uh, he saw David as irresponsible, um, as uh, insignificant. You're just a shepherd boy taking care of those few sheep. Why aren't you back there taking care of them? And he, he says that uh, he just had an evil heart and that he was accusing him of a presumption, that he was just arrogant, disrespectful, and out of line. And David responds with basically, what have I done? I'm just asking a question. But this doesn't deter David. He turns to somebody else, asks the same question, um, and, and word gets out to Saul uh, that, that what David was asking. So here's the, here's the thing. Israel was faced, was up against a really significant army. They had a, they had a problem. This was um, a dire situation. Um, and most of what David, David's family and others were saying, most of it was true. The enemy they were facing was real. The giant Goliath was real. They were in a serious predicament. But the pro they were seeing their problems as bigger than their God. They didn't see their enemy through the lens of God's promised victory. And so the real problem was their unbelief. As I was thinking about this, I decided just to kind of list all the challenges that folks in our own family, in our own congregation, are going through. And these are all things that I've heard about and been part of uh, over the last six months or so. Major surgeries, miscarriages, adoption disappointments, relational conflicts, COVID hospitalization, depression, college bills, ministry disappointments, chronic illnesses, loved ones who have passed away, dissatisfaction with employment, children making disappointing decisions, it's a huge list. And I'm sure that it, in our congregation, our size, there's probably many other things that people are facing. These are real problems. These are real challenges. These are serious giants that we are facing. But the question is, are we seeing our problems through eyes of faith? Are we seeing uh, our problems as bigger than our God? That's, that's what Israel's issue was. Goliath wasn't the real problem. I mean, some leather, some stones, he can be taken care of. The real problem was the unbelief that resided in the hearts of God's people. So to overcome our giants in life, we must see the, the enemy correctly. We must see the true enemy. The true enemy is the unbelief in our hearts that leads to sin and then ultimately death. We must see that um, our unbelief in who God is and what he's done and who we are in him um, 
can lead to, to disobedience. And then also, um, let's take a look at, at David's perspective. David saw the problem correctly. He saw God correctly. David had eyes of faith and therefore saw what God could do. He saw, that, uh, he saw the warrior king and put his trust in him to give victory. So word gets out to King Saul. He sends for David. David comes before Saul, acknowledges himself as, as Saul's servant, and he says, don't lose heart. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul has kind of the same doubts and uh, disdain that everybody else had. You can't do that. No. You are just a boy. And he's been a warrior since his youth. But David wants King Saul to see a fuller picture. He wants King Saul to see the God who goes before him. Um, I kind of imagine the, the, the conversation going something like this. David, you can't do this. But, 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 but I'm, I'm a, a, uh, I keep my father's sheep. Okay, big deal. But I've been doing this since, uh, this since my youth, and, and I've had some warfare, warfare training after all. Okay, so when lions and bears come and snatch the lambs, I go after them. And I club them and, and grab the lamb. And when they turn on me, I grab them by the scruff of the neck, I throw them down, and I beat them to death. And that Philistine, that uncircumcised Philistine, he's going to be like that lion and that bear. So up to this point, it sounds like he's kind of bragging on himself. But look, look at uh, what verse uh, 36 says. He wants, he wants the king to know that, okay, yeah, these things have happened, but they've only happened because of God's enablement. He says, the Philistine has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. God is going to do it. King Saul, it's about God and his ability, not me. So Saul relents. He says, okay, go, and the Lord be with you. So David went in knowing the promises of the Lord, knowing who was going before him. And he was prepared for the battle because he was trusting in God. So David went off to battle with his staff in one hand, his sling in the other, a pouch of rocks, And how did David kill Goliath? You might be the song, you know, remember the old kid, children's song, only a boy named David, only a little sling. And I can just hear that. One little stone went up in the air and this giant came tumbling down. Of course, he killed Goliath with a slingshot and a stone. That's somewhat correct. But David had more that helped him. And you have this weapon as well. The Lord is with you. David makes it clear. In fact, uh, beginning at verse 45, six times in this discourse with Goliath, he mentions the name of God. And as I was imagining this in my head, 
it probably wasn't like, David, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. It was this bold confidence, this fierce boldness and, and intensity uh, that came from David's heart of faith. Uh, it was more of something like this. You come to me with sword and with spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Amen? David refers to God as the Lord of hosts. 85 times in the Old Testament, God uses different names. God wants Israel to know that he is the warrior God. He is the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of armies. The same name is used in 2 Kings chapter 6, where it's some translations refer to it as the Lord of angels' armies. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's the story of Elijah and his servant. Elijah knows that God has an army surrounding them, but the servant can't see it. And so the servant wakes up in the morning, and he sees all the Syrian armies surrounding the city, their horses and their chariots, and he says, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elijah prays this prayer, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened these servants' eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. That's our God. That's our warrior God the Lord of hosts. The power of David's faith was in the person of his faith, the Lord of hosts. And then the promise of David's faith. God had promised to drive out the Philistines. The last time the Philistines were mentioned in 1 Samuel, uh, was in 1 Samuel 7. And it's interesting there that uh, the people of Israel uh, says that they had mourned and sought the Lord and put away their gods and committed to serve the Lord only, and that consequently the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into a panic. And as a result of that, the Israelites had a great victory over the Philistines. And uh, at, in verse 13, it says something interesting. It says that the Philistines were subdued uh, and then and did not invade Israelite territory again throughout Samuel's lifetime. And Samuel's still alive at this time. And he tells why at the end of the chapter. He says, because the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The Lord was holding back the Philistines, even up to this day, and he was going to continue to do it. 
In fact, the Israelites, they had put up this stone and they called this stone Ebenezer, which means stone of help. We don't want to forget what God did for us, that he helped us. He gave us this great victory over the Philistines and he had promised to continue to hold them back and protect us because we are God's people. They had forgotten that, but David hadn't forgotten. Um, There's some interesting repetition here. Uh, Verse 26 says, David spoke to the men, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And then verse 36, he, he again says, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Uh, David realized this battle was against an uncircumcised Philistine. When everybody else was looking up at this huge problem, this huge giant, David was looking down and he was saying, that boy ain't been to the doctor. He hasn't been cut. And because he ain't been cut, I have a decisive advantage over this guy. He's not part of of the covenant promise that God gave to Abraham. You see, the circumcision was a sign that pointed back to the Abrahamic covenant. All males in Abraham's line were to be circumcised and thus carry with them a lifelong mark in their flesh that they were part of God's physical blessing in the world. So God, back in Genesis chapter 12, God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you make you into a great nation, and through your family, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And I'm going to give you this land forever. And we get to be a part of that because who was the descendant of Abraham by which the whole earth is blessed? Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, came and established the new covenant, the new covenant in his blood, And all who put their faith in him as their substitute for sin are in the new covenant. And they have the blessing of God on their life. Here here was the issue. My little prop here. Israel is like, uh, they were in the covenant. Let's say this umbrella represents the covenant. They were in it, they had it, it was promised to them, but they weren't living under it. They, and because of that, they were experiencing all the effects of the storm. All they had to do was trust God and walk in obedience and be under the blessing and the benefits of the covenant that God had given them. It's kind of like my garage door has these little sensors at the bottom and if they if they get knocked off or out of a line if they're not matched up you have no power i mean the power is there but you can't take advantage of it but once they're aligned you now have access to that power israel was walking in disobedience they were out of alignment um, and because of that they weren't receiving the full benefits of the covenant But David remembered who he served and who his God was. Um, I think about this this story uh, Pastor um, 
Tony Evans, Anthony Evans tells about when his daughter was young, there was this, they had a little dog and, and he was chasing his daughter, barking and nipping at her and she's just running in terror and she sees her dad and she runs up to her dad, he picks her up and she's just sobbing and shaking and she's looking down at that dog and he's nipping and jumping up at her and she's looking down at that dog and then she looks up at her dad and then she looks down at her dog and she looks at her dad and all of a sudden she's starting to relax and, and just this confidence, this faith starts to well up in her and she looks down and she goes, nah, 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 you can't get me. Her perspective changed. She realized who was holding her. The hand of the Lord will keep our enemy back. The hand of the Lord has defeated our enemy, has defeated sin and death. We are on the victor's side. And we can go into our battles trusting and believing that. David believed that, tells us in verse 48, David ran quickly towards the battle, towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. So when we're operating on the, under the covenant, we can operate in the offensive. We can be offensive saints. And you see that throughout, you know, throughout the, the scriptures. Uh, God want, wanted his people to step out in faith. Raise up your staff and the waters parted. You know, walk around the city of Jericho and the walls came down. Story after story after story. And as the people stepped forward in faith, God went with them and protected them from the storm. Does that mean life would be easy? Uh, that there would be no challenges, no trials. What was the result of David's faith? We all know that the giant Goliath was defeated, right? Uh, David took uh, Goliath's sword, cut off his head, took the head to Saul. He was victorious. Now he's going to get the wealth, the woman, and the waiver from taxes. Yay! But it didn't happen that way. Um, instead, he was brought into service to the king uh, to fight the king's battles, the battles that the king should have been fighting. And David continued to be blessed of God. He continued to be successful. And what did he get? <laughs> he, got, he got to be target practice. The king threw his sword or his spear at David couple of times missed him he sends David out uh, basically on these suicide missions David survives in fact he comes back successful this happens over and over and over again David uh, uh, Saul is just instructs everybody around David to take David's life David continues to watch over David and David eventually has to flee the palace he ends up in the cave of Adullam all by himself. Was that victory? Was, is that the kind of prize we want for our faith? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, I believe reflects David's, um, David's faith. In Paul's words, he said, 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Another interesting passage is Hebrews 11, where the writer describes um, all these people who lived by faith and all the wonderful accomplishments that they were able to achieve. But the writers of Hebrews is careful to remind us that many experienced horrific things as a result of their faith, yet did not receive the promised reward. Verse 35 says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sewn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in sheeps, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, eventually, God's going to make us all perfect together. And there's a, there's a heavenly home for us. Verse 13 tells us the same thing. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers, exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. As it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Folks, our finish line is out there when we receive the greatest prize when we're in the presence of our king when all things are made right when he stands as lord people of faith see beyond their giants to a giant god who stands head and shoulders above all earthly kings and problems they see the warrior king who rises head and shoulders above all earthly kings. They see a true champion, anointed by the Spirit, was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, yet without sin. They see a suffering Savior who went into battle for us and fought the enemy of God, that old serpent, the devil, and crushed his head. They see a victorious king who goes before the angels, the angel armies, the warrior king. His name is Jesus. He has done it. He's won it. That's our God. That's our God. Do you believe him today? Will you follow him? Will you put your faith in him? Father, you are an amazing God. You are our warrior king. You are our king forever. No one can snatch us out of your hands. 
we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who saved us. We are super conquerors. You have defeated Satan. And because of that defeat, we won't suffer the penalty of our sin. Because of that, of that victory, we're no longer slaves to sin. We can say no to sin. We can live righteously. We can live in obedience to you. And someday we will receive the prize. We will live in your presence and all sorrow and sin will be wiped away. You are our God. We love you and we want to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen.